Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome back to Talk Nation Radio this week, Anne Wright. She has been on before. She is a retired Army colonel and State Department official. She has the State Department Award for Heroism. She publicly resigned in 2003 in protest of the war on Iraq. She has been part of all sorts of efforts for peace and justice from Camp Casey to Gaza flotillas, and she is just back from another attempt to reach the people of Gaza. Uh, She was on the Women's Boat to Gaza. You can check out womensboattogaza.us or wbg.freedomflotilla.org. Anne Wright, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you very much, David. It's great to talk to you, and it's great to be back from the the flotilla. (laughs) Yes, I was receiving rather disturbing emails with headlines like, Anne Wright has been kidnapped, uh, (laughs) and I was rather grateful to hear that you were released and then that you were uh, leaving Israel and and were back in New York. Um, what, What was the women's boat to Gaza? What is the women's boat to Gaza, and what did you try to do? Well, it is an initiative of the Gaza Freedom Flotilla uh, International Coalition that we've had since 2010, and this is the fourth uh, flotilla uh, that we have uh, sailed at, to break the Israeli blockade of Gaza, the illegal uh, quarantine and blockade of the little tiny place called Gaza, 25 miles wide, or 25 miles long, 5 miles wide, 1.9 million people living in that tiny little space that is essentially an open-air prison controlled by the Israelis. So so you took a boat. Uh, did you bring aid, or did you just try to bring people? And, and what happened when you tried to get there? Well, this time we just uh, were bringing ourselves and our message of hope, that the people, that that indeed the international community has not forgotten the people of Gaza, although to the people of Gaza it certainly feels like uh, the international world, the the world community has kind of left them. Uh, So this tiny little boat, and it was supposed to be two boats, but you know how boats happen sometimes. They, not all the boats go at the time that you want, or sometimes these little boats break. We had two sailboats, one called the Amal, which in, in uh, Arabic means hope, and the second one was Zaituna Olivia for the olives uh, that are the part of uh, Palestinian culture and really Arabic culture that are so important to them and whose roots, olive tree roots, uh, uh, are deep in the soil of Gaza and the West Bank, and many of the trees being hundreds, if not maybe even thousands of years old. So they're part of the great history. So we named one of our boats the Zaituna Olivia and the other one Amal Hope. We started out from uh, Barcelona, Spain. That's where we uh, purchased both both of these boats. They are sailboats, uh, 50 feet long, and uh, having a capacity, well, we put 13 women on each boat, although it was really jam-packed with people with that many. We only had four staterooms in each one of the boats, and so we meant, it meant that we were having to put three people to a stateroom, and people would have to rotate around uh, to during the evening hours to sleep. Um, but it was part of the, the challenge of uh, 
of difficult living, which is nothing in comparison to what the people of Gaza feel um, on their daily basis when their entire life is controlled by uh, the uh, Israeli government in terms of supplies that come in, merchandise that comes into Gaza is all controlled by the Israelis, as is the electricity that comes in uh, or doesn't come in, which is most of the time most... uh, most people in Gaza only have like four hours of electricity a day. And the water uh, controlled by Israel and then uh, the sewage plants, which are generally the first targets of an Israeli attack. So so, our little boats were going across 1,715 miles of the Mediterranean from Spain through Corsica down to Messina, Italy, and then a thousand-mile journey across from Sicily to Gaza. Uh, And you're sailing east toward Gaza, and on previous trips, a previous flotilla, the Israeli military stopped and killed and wounded people. I mean, this is what you were sailing toward, right? Well, that's that's right. In 2010, I was a part of that uh, Freedom Flotilla, six ships that uh, sailed toward Gaza, having left Cyprus and Crete, and were attacked by the Israeli occupation forces, and nine activists uh, were killed, really executed by the Israeli forces. A tenth person subsequently died. Uh, Over 50 people were wounded by the Israelis as they came aboard by Uh, repelling down from helicopters by climbing up from Zodiacs that were streaming alongside the the Marvi Marmara, where the fatal attacks took place. But each one of the ships was boarded forcefully, and people beaten up, tasered, faces shoved in glass that had been blown out by stun guns. Uh, Each boat was, uh, was attacked, and people injured by the Israelis on each one of those. And so, yes, we... We knew that the, there was a potential for violence. Um, there have been other flotillas that have gone where people have um, have been beaten up um, and constrained with handcuffs and put in stress positions for long periods of time until the boats actually were brought in against our will. You know, we, we really consider it being uh, kidnapped, kidnapped on the high seas in international waters. Uh, our boats were, our boat was taken. 35 miles off Gaza in international waters and 14 miles from what the Israelis have declared as their security zone around Gaza. So we were clearly in international waters. We were boarded by military force. Our, our control of our boat was taken over by the military, and we were forced to go to Israel against our will. And then, as uh, as what happens each time, then we are charged with entering Israel illegally, even though we didn't want to go there in the first place and were taken there against our will, and then subsequently deported. And again, it's a 10-year deportation from Israel, which means essentially that you can't get into the West Bank again to be in solidarity with Palestinians in the West Bank because you've now been excluded and deported from Israel. 
Yeah. 200 years ago, my neighbor here in Charlottesville, Thomas Jefferson, started a big war in the Mediterranean uh, because ships were being boarded and kidnapped like that, although it was Muslims doing it. So uh, so it was a different rhetoric and I suppose different sort of, of evil. But th this is this is a crime that, that Israel committed, right? Is there any sort of uh, <laughs> ability to prosecute it as a crime? Well, indeed, it is a crime, and it is difficult uh, to get prosecutions going. Uh, it, it has been difficult uh, even for the the executions of uh, the nine people uh, and subsequently the tenth death uh, of those that were killed six years ago. I, I myself have testified twice in a court in Istanbul, Turkey, where we were trying to put trying to uh, uh, mount a court case against the four Israeli general officers uh, uh, in the Navy and in the, the land forces for their, their participation and planning in this military assault that resulted in the, the murders of 10 unarmed civilians on the Marvi Marmara. The case is still in the, in the courts, although the Israeli government has kind of bought off the Turkish government by offering a $20 million um, um, payment uh, to be split among the families of those who were killed, although the families have said they don't want the money. They want justice for their, their loved ones' deaths. Uh, but the Erdogan government of Turkey, uh, wanting better relations with Israel, I guess, for economic reasons, uh, has now uh, reestablished diplomatic relations with Israel. And the government has accepted this money for the families, even though the families say they don't want it. In fact, the, the widow of one of the men that was murdered on the, on the Marvi Marmara uh, was one of our delegates who came to Messina, Italy. And uh, I had not seen her since the last time I was in Istanbul for the court case, and it was uh, a moving uh, time to be there with her and you know her willingness to go on another boat that would be confronting the Israeli military. Um, ultimately, she was not on the one boat that finally did go toward uh, toward Gaza. But her heart was certainly with us, and we really appreciated her willingness to come to Sicily and to meet with all the other participants from 18 other countries that had come to Messina uh, as a part of this women's boat to Gaza. We're speaking with Anne Wright, who was on the women's boat to Gaza. Check out womensboattogaza.us. Uh, and I noticed that it's called the women's boat. It had only women. The, the two boats had only women or three boats and uh, and women from the West and from around the world and well-known women. And I noticed also that the Israeli public relations uh, stressed to all the media that there were women involved in capturing and kidnapping uh, everybody on the boat. So it, it, what is the strategy here, and what do you think the Israeli military would have done differently had there been men on board? Well, we know what they do normally when men are on board, because this, this has been four times they've done it. Usually there's a much uh, stronger confrontation, and indeed, uh, in virtually every one of the other flotillas, people have been uh, tasered uh, and 
people have been kind of thrown around on the decks, and none of them shot as such, but they have been tasered. Uh, it was a different approach we were taking as, uh, as women, uh, led by a Nobel Peace Laureate, Marie McGuire from Northern Ireland, and with two parliamentarians, uh, one from the Algeria Parliament and one from the New Zealand Parliament. Uh, we had uh, an Olympic athlete and a, a student activist from uh, South Africa. We had uh, a second, what they call a substitute member of parliament from Sweden. Uh, we we had a, a group of women who uh, are truly committed to peaceful nonviolent resistance. And our idea was that we were not going to uh, be confrontational in a way that uh, resulted in, in injuries to anyone. I mean, there were two of us that were over 70 years old. I, I just turned 70 this year, and Marie McGuire is over 70, and several of the others are in their, were in their 60s. And, you know, in the whole approach to what we want to do, we wanted to uh, be an example of how you can uh, push a political agenda, but you don't have to be physically confrontational about it. And that maybe this change in kind of a, uh, uh, an approach uh, toward those who are going to be coming on board our boat, uh, we wanted to see what, what would happen. And indeed, we'd kind of publicized that, how we'd gone through nonviolence training and, uh, you know, that confrontation was not the way we wanted to go about things. So, as it turned out, the Israeli military was listening and when they approached in their uh, Zodiac boats, uh, three of them, each loaded to the gills. I mean, they were—they had a lot of people on these things. And the, the first one that came up to uh, stop our boat, uh, the half of the people that were on that were women members of the uh, Israeli occupation forces. And interestingly, they were not dressed in combat gear. When they came up, I about fell out of the boat because I was thinking we were going to see all sorts of weapons and helmets and flak jackets and all that, which is normally what we see. But they had changed their tactics, too, and they approached us wearing baseball caps, wearing long sleeve jerseys with a, a blue military vest. Um, kind of, I, I'm pretty sure it was a bulletproof vest, but a, a lightweight one. And each one of them had a GoPro on, so they were recording everything. And when they boarded the boat, it was not a rush onto the boat and making everybody sit right where they were, although there was no place for us to move anyway. We, had, we pretty well had to stay seated because it was so, uh, so crowded in the little cockpit. And we wanted all of our, our delegates, all 13 people, uh, to be visible and on the deck. Uh, I wanted I wanted all of those 13 women to be able to go back to their countries to uh, tell exactly what happened and to be able to see uh, first in the distance three large, large warships that were trailing us. And then at a certain point, uh, we saw these, these three Zodiac fast boats coming up from the rear and then uh, as they approached us, and on the radio, they were calling to us, Zaituna, Zaituna, stop uh, heading for Gaza. Our captain, who uh, woman captain, uh, Madeline Habib, uh, who is an Australian citizen, 
her father was Egyptian or is Egyptian, and her mother is from the UK, and she grew up in Australia. The ca- Captain Madeline Habib is one of the most experienced women captains I suspect there is in the world. And we were very, very lucky that she decided she wanted to, to volunteer to be a captain on this mission. As she was talking to the captain of one of the ships that was calling the Zaituna, and her description of what we were doing, that we were not going to stop, we were heading for Gaza, that it was our right to, and that it was an illegal Israeli blockade, and that we were going to continue to go to Gaza because we, our mission was to give hope to the people of Gaza that they were not forgotten, and we intended to do that. And then the um, uh, Israeli uh, commander of one of the ships, in what was a pretty professional exchange, said, I understand what your mission is, but I must say that we have an, inter- we, uh, have an approved um, security area, which I don't, I don't think that's true, <laughs> Uh, but uh, we have an approved security area that you cannot enter, and we uh, we ask you to divert to the Israeli port of Ashdod. And our captain said, nope, we're not going to divert. It is our right to go to the people of Gaza to give them hope. So with that, the, the fast boats approached, and uh, uh, the uh, 15 people hopped onto our boat really fast. <laughs> And including a young woman who became, uh, she took over the control of our our boat. She uh, is a, uh, as we found out later, as we talked with her, she is a uh, is licensed for uh, sailing boats of that size, and so she took over control of of our boat and then diverted our boat toward the Israeli port of Ashdod. Yeah, were were you guys set up to to live stream video? I know that from last time that the Israeli military very much wanted to you know destroy any footage or photos not produced by themselves. Um, what what was your approach in terms of of, of creating media of this uh, non confrontational confrontation? Yeah, well, we did have two Al Jazeera women journalists on board, uh, complete with uh, the professional Al Jazeera uh, camera and a satellite link, and they were transmitting uh, to a certain point until the Israeli military was able to cut off communications with the satellite. So they were unable to get actually footage of when the when the IDF actually boarded the boat. And the hours later, it took us over eight hours from when they boarded our our vessel until we finally reached the port of Ashdod, because our sailboat could only go like five, five, well, we could go faster than five knots, but it was really putting a lot of strain on the engine to do it. And so it took us eight hours to get into to Ashdod. Uh, uh, I'm bit, I'm surprised that the IDF itself has not put out some of the photos of themselves uh, because it is a different approach that they took toward our boat, um, and it was an accurate assessment of who we were, were and uh, what uh, what our mission was. And in fact, several of the young uh, sailors mentioned to us. They said, "Well, you know, we, we as sailors we understand how difficult this voyage has been for you all because." It, we were on the high seas on that leg of it eight or nine days, and from 
Barcelona to Ajaccio, Sicily was three days, including two very, very rough days where everybody on board the boat was seasick. And then the the uh, from Ajaccio, uh, Corsica down to Messina, Italy, that was another three and a half days. And then from Messina to um, to Gaza, that was a, a nine day trip. So. 1,715 miles we traveled in this little boat with the uh, 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 population on the boat, including the crew of 13 women. So uh, the young sailor said, we, we know how difficult these trips can be, and we admire you for, for the trip you've made, not necessarily for the reason you were making it, but uh, that from the, from a uh, sailing point of view, uh, it was really interesting that they uh, they said that they were uh, impressed with what uh, our women's boat to Gaza had done. They, they were impressed and admired you, and then they locked you up. <laughs> and then locked us up. <laughs> right. What, to tell us that bit quickly. What did they do? <laughs> well, yes, it's, it's at the end of all of these sagas, although I'll, I'll just mention one thing. As we were heading into into the port of Ashdod, we were approaching the coastline, and, you know, the coast of Gaza goes right into the coast of Israel, and we actually came right at the the city of uh, Ashkelon, which is the southernmost Israeli city next to Gaza, and the, the incredible difference between Israel to the left of Ashkelon, with the great bright lights of coastal cities and, you know, an industrialized uh, uh, n- uh, nation of 8.1 uh, million people, and then you look to the south and the 25-mile coastline to the south, which is Gaza, in virtually complete darkness. And 1.9 p- million people, nearly a quarter of the population of Israel, is living in perpetual darkness because of the Israeli policies. Not only the darkness of the of the lights, but the darkness of not having medical supplies. One of the people we had on board our ship was a medical doctor from Malaysia, Dr. Uh, Fashia uh, Hassan. Her NGO in Ga- that works in Gaza is trying to reduce the time that people have to wait for operations. Right now, the the number of people that have applied for various kind or have been recommended for various kinds of operations and the current medical um, facilities they have in Gaza, it means that these people, many of these people will not see an operation until the year 2025, nine years from now. And her organization is trying to bring in enough supplies and equipment that they can bring down this time to, to, to the year 2020, four years of a wait. So these types of, this type of information that we were getting about the the collapse of the medical facilities because of the intentional bombing of, of hospitals and the reduction of the amount of medical supplies that are allowed in by the state of Israel, and then the continual darkness of, of uh, because of lack of electricity so students can't study as much, the, and the darkness of not being able to travel, that indeed you are stuck in that little place with little opportunity to take advantage of scholarships to get out or to go visit family any place in the world. So it was really a stark thing, approaching the the coast of Gaza and seeing it in darkness. 
and then being taken to the port of uh, uh, Ashkelon, or pardon me, of uh, Ashdod, and in the same processing uh, that we did uh, six years ago, the last time I was uh, in there, uh, we were processed. It took about uh, two and a half hours for 13 people to be processed. Uh, six years ago, we had over 700 people to be processed. Uh, uh, then we were taken to a detention facility uh, near Givion, uh, where we stayed for 24 hours uh, before ultimately we went before an administrative detention judge and uh, were deported. Uh, and the following night, uh, most of us uh, left in a 12-hour in a period. All of us are now back in our homes uh, and doing interviews to continue to educate people about what is going on and to focus international attention on the people of Gaza and the horrific uh, conditions in which they're living. And right, we have about three and a half minutes left. The policy of the U.S. government is to give ever more billions of dollars of free weapons to Israel without any demands and excuse all of its crimes and abuses. Uh, and we have this media circus around a presidential election in which if you don't pay any attention to Jill Stein, you have two candidates uh, who never bring up the topic, uh, who both endorse the cruelty, uh, but one is presented as a respecter of diversity and human rights and the other as a cruel jerk. Uh, what do you make of, of the of U.S. politics and what should we be doing uh, to help the people of Gaza? Well, certainly we should not have given uh, this $38 billion gift over the next 10 years to the state of Israel where they will be using that money to kill Palestinians, to again attack uh, people in Gaza uh, in a in really a, just a kind of an experimental way. I mean, Gaza is the test bed for not only Israeli weapons, but U.S. weapons. And this $38 billion is going to be used in great measure to purchase more more weapons to kill Palestinians, if not in Gaza, in the West Bank. And we should be ashamed as a country that we continue to finance uh, Israel in this manner, and it's really shocking in, uh, that President Obama, who has been uh, vilified uh, by, by uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, that he didn't, uh, on just a personal basis, veto that congressional giveaway program. But he didn't, and uh, uh, the world looks in great disbelief, not, not only at our political system, which is a circus, um, but uh, at this, uh, the, the, the continual support for the state of Israel, no matter what criminal acts it conducts toward people of, of Gaza and the West Bank and toward the international community, which is the, the part of it which is critical about the policies of the state of Israel. But no matter what sort of memo a president writes, Congress can't actually pass 10 years of funding in one year, right? It has to come back nine more times uh, and uh, and redo that uh, or undo it. Uh, and major changes are promised on other topics by people running for president now. Uh, we ought to be able to make a change on this one during one of the coming nine years, right? We certainly will give it a try, but uh, Israeli policies and politics and U.S. politics are so intertwined that it will continue to be a very, very difficult problem. However, uh, you can see the success that uh, the boycott, divestment, and sanction programs have had, where two years ago Netanyahu said that 
BDS is a strategic threat to the state to the security of the state of Israel. So it, it's worth giving lots of lots of push on these things because every now and then you have some breakthroughs that really make a difference. So join in boycott, divestment, and sanctions uh, search. There are good websites on it. Go also to womensboattogaza.us and wbg.freedomflotilla.org. Uh, support this effort. I assume it is not finished. Um, Anne Wright, thank you once again for everything you're doing for peace, uh, and thanks for coming on Talk Nation Radio. A real pleasure, David, and, and thanks for all the work that you're doing. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, Please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.